be reading from today is Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if you guys could flip there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some located around the seats. And if you don't own one, please take that with you. That's a gift from us to you today. And when you guys turn there, if y'all could stand for the reading of the Word of God. So Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is God's word, and y'all may be seated. All right, thanks, Jenna. Appreciate it. Keep this in my pocket in case I need it. I don't know, you guys want this? Hey, really quickly, before we get going, uh, it's a little informal. I don't know if you can tell. but uh, Before we get going, I just want to... I just want to give us an opportunity to give Eric Ripley a hand. Um, look, I, I, want to, I just want to point something out that I think is, I think is pretty incredible. So uh, Brendan's at a wedding, so Eric led to worship tonight. If you were here last week, you got to hear Eric preach. Uh, he did a wonderful job. Uh, does a great job with that type of high level, out in front of everyone leadership. But the thing that I love most about Eric is, that, is what he was doing two weeks ago. On top of the opportunities to preach and the opportunities to lead worship, I drove up two weeks ago in the rain, and Eric Ripley was outside in a reflective vest parking cars. Um, it's the guy that gets it, right? I want you to know that I, I love you, and I'm thankful to serve with you. The guy that understands servant leadership. Uh, he'll probably be cleaning the bathrooms when the rest of you are at home this evening. So I just want to make sure I publicly honor you. I called him when I walked in, and he was, he was practicing when I walked in. I said, man, you're like the, the Swiss Army knife of the ministry, man. Like, you know. But uh, I wanted to make sure I said that in front of you guys also. Um, haven't introduced myself yet. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence. And uh, it's a joy to gather with you, even though we're gathering, let's just say it out loud, we're gathering under difficult circumstances. Right. Uh, I wanted to take just a couple of minutes, and we talked about an elder team meeting. We wanted to give you guys an update on what's going on with the facility. It's, uh, it's been a tough, tough season for our church. Uh, I, I like to phrase it a lot. I like to go back to the members meeting and say, just say to people, say, let's just admit this, that that was probably the pinnacle of what we've done in a long time, where we all stood together, packed into a room, and we said, hey, we're going to lean into the tension because it's really crowded here, and there's so many people, but God is good because he keeps bringing these people in, and we're going to talk to you about how the Lord is moving, and people are growing, and there's 61 people in a discipleship class, and we're, we're packing out two gatherings. Man, life is good. We're about to explode. And Tuesday morning, the fire marshal walks in and says, done, done. And if I can just be honest for a sec. We trust God with all of it. But it's, it's still hard. And it's first world as it is, let's just admit it, it's hard. I'm disappointed. I feel like I let you down. We feel like we let you down, maybe in a way. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just the way that it feels. Um, but I'll have you, I'll, I just wanted to say very quick, I didn't mean to go down this road, but let's just, we're, we're honest here. We love one another. Um, we have completed everything that we are in control of, everything that we can control. There's major pieces of the puzzle that are not in our control that are, by God's grace, being completed. Uh, if I can just ask you as a family to be praying for that because there are people that have to do things that we can't control and if they don't do them we don't go home that's just it that's just the reality and uh 
And we believe God is good. We believe that he is still building his church. We believe that in spite of all of this, despite all the people that aren't here that should be here, that really breaks my heart. And I'm thinking, man, we really messed it up. We don't believe for a second that the sovereign will of God is not involved here with us also. Even though it's just devastating, man. And it's hard, but we believe that God goes before us into trials. As insignificant as they may be, we believe that that's true. So can we just kind of just cling to that? If you know people that have disappeared during this time, as it's been more difficult to be a part of the body, can we just encourage you to reach out to those folks? Just touch base and just let them know we love them. And uh, I promise you we're going to get you back in there as soon as we soon as we possibly can. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to say that and just know that we love you, all of us. We, we really do. And uh, we're doing everything that we can do at this point. Okay. So having said that, I want to, let's begin to transition into, I was going to say into a little bit lighter topic, but not really, because we're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit for the next 15 weeks. And uh, as Jenna said, the sermon series that we're jumping off into here is, is we're calling it the presence, the power, and the people of God. And our primary objective, like I said, over the next 15 weeks is going to be to spend all of our time looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Um, another tension that probably needs to be addressed corporately is that we don't all believe the same thing about the Holy Spirit. Did you guys know that? I don't know if that's a surprise. I don't know if that shocks you guys, but we're pretty clear on it. Like we have known this was coming. We've been talking about this series since like November. A lot of you have known it's coming. I've had a lot of conversations about it and I've been able to kind of, through those conversations, I've been able to kind of move the room into three different groups. And we're just gonna say it out loud so that we can live in it. There's three different groups of people in here that I believe are kind of, sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to see what's coming over the next 15 weeks. We have our charismatic brothers and sisters who are hoping and, and, and excited and hoping that we're going to unleash some sort of strange fire over the congregation, <laughs> right? Like we know, we know you're here. We love you. Welcome in. Um, we've got our more traditional brothers and sisters who are ready to break fellowship with us as soon as things get weird. Like they've had the conversation at dinner. They said, look, I just want you to know if he says A, B, or C, we're gone. Like we'll, we'll go find somewhere else to go. And then there's a third group that I think is even, even the more critical group of people that are here that, that I'll be honest with you, I can count myself a part of for a long time that don't necessarily deny the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit, but rather just don't understand it. And, and that causes us to become uncomfortable. So we just don't deal with it. Like we're just like, I don't, I don't disagree that the Holy Spirit is real. I just don't know what I feel or I don't understand what I think about that. Therefore, I'm just going to act like that is not a thing. We kind of treat it as though it's, you know, I've heard it said the father, son, and the crazy uncle or the father, son, and the drunk uncle. You've probably heard that before also. Um, it's almost like I, I call it a family infiltration. So I'm from a very tight-knit family in a very small town. And the thing about small towns is that when you grow up and your cousins grow up, they tend to marry people that you went to school with. And sometimes this doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes it happens 10 to 12 years down the road. And one day you show up at Mamaw's Christmas party and some guy that you didn't really like just comes in with your cousin. He looks at you and says, what's up, cuz? I'm like, you are not my cuz, man. Like this did not, I don't care who you married or how many kids you had. We are not cousins. I don't care what's going on. Like, and there's always like this waiting period. Like it takes a lot of years to like really let them into the fold. It's a true story. A couple of July 4ths ago, we were having like one of those, my grandmother was there and we were like, I want to get all my great grandkids and my great greats and get everybody together and have this picture. And my grandmother literally asked for spouses to not be in the picture, quote, because we don't know how long they're going to be around. 
I was like, what? And my, of course, my wife was very gracious about it. My brother's wife wanted to set the building on fire. Like, that almost happened. And it's kind of like, man, these people will oftentimes infiltrate our family, and we just don't, we don't want that trouble. And my fear for a lot of us is that we spend a lot of our pursuit of Christ and a lot of our Christianity in this space where we know the Holy Spirit exists, we can't deny his presence, but we just don't want the trouble of trying to figure out how does he operate? How does it work? We don't want the issue. So over the next 14 weeks, we're going to spend our time discussing various ways the Holy Spirit operates. But this evening, to kick the series off, uh, we're going to spend our time here tonight discussing who the Holy Spirit is. Like, I want to build a case with you tonight of why it's important to ensure that we not only know that the Holy Spirit is living and active, but we also know why it's important to invite the Holy Spirit into the things that we do, to invite the Holy Spirit into our pursuit of Christ. I think it's very interesting. I found a survey online that was conducted by Lifeway and Ligonier Ministries back in 2016. This surveyed 3,000 evangelicals and found that of those 3,000, 59% of those surveys, of those surveyed believed that the Holy Spirit was a force and not a personal being. So believed that the Holy Spirit was was something that happens to you rather than a person or a a member of the Godhead. So that's 59% of 3,000 evangelicals that were surveyed. 28% of those 3,000 said that the Holy Spirit is a divine being, but is not equally divine, not equal to God or Jesus, but somewhere below them in the, in the atmosphere here. And these are people that would claim before the survey to be followers of Christ, but with a, a skewed understanding of who the Holy Spirit is or what it is, that the, how, what, the standing that the Holy Spirit has. Now, based on these results, it would be fair to say that a significant number of professing Christians are fairly confused on the doctrine of not just the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, the doctrine of the Trinity. I think we have some, some, some hitches in that, some of the things that we believe. And in order to begin this off the right way, I wanted to go back to what we have said here is our foundational document for all things theology. I wanted to drive us back to the Providence Community Church Statement of Faith and read the statement that that we have affirmed and we have pushed out front for our church on the triune God or on the Trinity. It says this, it says, there is one God, infinite, eternal, almighty, and perfect in holiness, truth, and love. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, coexistent, co-equal, and co-eternal. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, yet each is true deity. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the foundation of the Christian faith and life. So that's what we believe. That's the doctrinal statement that we have pressed out. We have affirmed the Trinity. We've affirmed it in its traditional view. We have affirmed it in the way that most um, Orthodox, Orthodox uh, Christians would affirm it, but yet it's easier than you might think to belong to this church or to a church like this and hold a foundational misunderstanding of the doctrine of the Trinity that could lead to intentional or unintentional practices of heresy. Like it happens a lot of times and maybe you don't even realize it until you kind of come into your own with, with some knowledge of things that are going on. If you're not familiar with the term heresy, it simply means it's a belief that runs contrary to the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. So it's very easy to find yourself there if you don't have a baseline understanding of the Trinity or if you've never even spent time looking into it. As we kind of talked about this as an elder team, we thought it was important to bring up one specific type of heresy that, that a lot of people tend to fall into and they may not even know it regarding the, the, the Trinity. It's called modalism. Uh, persons of the, basically, that's 
modalism says that persons of the Trinity represent three modes of God and not three distinct individual persons. So we would basically say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would all be lined up under God, but three different modes of which God takes shape. And that's not what we see the scripture teaching. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we, we kind of press through. Um, it may seem like a minor thing, but it's really not. In actuality, it's a, a grievous error that, that illustrates a very serious misunderstanding of the Godhead. And, and furthermore, the reason we're talking about this right now is because many of us struggle to understand the Holy Spirit because our foundational view of the Trinity is flawed. So there's a foundational chip in the armor there when it comes to what we believe about the Trinity, and because of that, we stumble in what we believe about the Holy Spirit, and it leads to divisions in the church. It leads to unhealth on all sides of the spectrum. It leads to abuses. It leads to people that hold the Holy Spirit at arm's length and will not invite him, much less let him do the work that he intends to do among us. It does all those things because why? Because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what his role is and what it is that he wants to accomplish in the local church. And that's going to be our hope for the next 15 weeks to kind of parse that out among us. So we'll go to the scriptures because I think it's of, of utmost importance to uh, use the scriptures to build the evidence that the Holy Spirit, while being fully God, is still fully distinct. And then we're going to talk through why that point is important for each of us to know and embrace as believers and followers of Christ. So go back with me to what Jenna read earlier. And I'm going to ask you to do something today that's a little odd for our congregation. I grew up in a very small Baptist church. We didn't have projectors and that kind of thing. So when the preacher would go from scripture to scripture, we would have to flip in our Bible and find it. It was something... It, the kids did something called Bible drills. Everybody kind of moved their way through the word like that. Uh, we don't have the projector. So there's going to be a couple times that I'm going to say, hey, on your device or in your Bible, would you mind flipping with me? So, uh, you know, you guys may get there before me. Maybe we can race. We can just act like who's going to get there first and we can race. But make it fun because I think it's important that we're tracking through the scriptures together. Because the last thing I want you leaving here today, having in your pocket is my opinion of who the Holy Spirit is. I'm not interested in you knowing my opinions or what I think. Like We want to go to the Word of God. We want to pull that out and see what the Scripture is telling us about who the Holy Spirit is. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we'll spend a little bit of time here kind of seeing the first time in Scripture where we are introduced to the Holy Spirit, the first place that we see him in Scripture. If you want a deeper dive into these verses, you can go back through on the website uh, to January 1st of 2017. So you guys know we did Bible in a year last year. And our very first sermon was called In the Beginning. And we sat down in those two verses for about 45 minutes and just lived there. So I'm not going to rehash all of that. But at the end of the day, what we see and look in these verses and we see is we see God standing alone before time. And because of that, we draw inference that God will be standing alone after time, that God all always has been, and God always will be. God is not a created being. He is not a being that has an end. He is a God that has been forever, and he will be forever. And that's, that's what we see here in the very beginning of Genesis. And what's with God here, what we see that the scripture tells us is with God is the spirit of God. It says the spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And I think it's very important to point out, I've told you guys this before, that grammatical structure and the way that things are written, particularly in scripture, are of utmost importance. And we see here that when it says spirit of God, that is a capital S spirit of God. So there's an indication early on that, that 
that that is a proper noun, that the capital S spirit of God is there not because God created him, but because he shares God's nature and comes forth eternally from God. So there aren't two beings that are there. There is God. There is the spirit of God uniquely woven together in one, but also very distinct in where they are at the moment. Like we can begin to kind of see this picture being painted for us in the very first two verses of scripture. There's a reason why we see the spirit of God prior to creation. That's because it, was, it is not a created being. He is not a created being. Like we, we are looking here at the spirit of God that has been with God from the beginning, is God, and is distinct also from God. All right, I'm going to turn in my Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to build on this a little more with some of, some of Paul's thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 will be in verses 10 and 11. All right. There. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says this. I think. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the capital S Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the capital S, Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So here in this letter, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And in this part of the letter, he's explaining the believer's responsibility to impart wisdom into the more mature believers. He tells them early on that when he first came to them, he preached nothing but the gospel because that's all they were ready for. But as believers get more mature, it is upon, it is on the back of the believer. It is the responsibility of the believer to begin to teach them the deeper things of God that Paul then goes on to say, we have access to because we have the spirit. Right, Paul tells him in, in verse 9, he says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And then he says, These things God has revealed to us through the capital S Spirit. So that goes back to verse 7, where Paul is referring to the secret and hidden wisdom of God. So through the Spirit, the Spirit searches everything, searches even into the depths of God. We see up here in, if you flip over to verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So Paul contends that a person's spirit is part of that person, and he says the same thing about God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So Paul's contention here is that, that, that God's thoughts can only be comprehended through a spirit that would not be separate from God, would not be created by God, would not be set to the side by God, but rather would be God in himself, one in the same, the spirit of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what we've read right here helps us understand what we see in Genesis chapter 1. God was there before creation, and because God was there, the capital S Spirit was there also, because they are one in the same. And then Paul comes back in, in this verse out of 1 Corinthians here, and he tells us that God has put his Spirit in our heart as a guarantee. So this is the thing. This is where it's important. 
When you begin to understand that the spirit is not some wonky cousin or some crazy uncle or something to be set to the side, what you begin to see in scripture is that when the Bible tells us that God has placed his spirit inside of you, that God has not just given you a tool to help you, although it, the, the spirit is called the helper, the spirit is called the comforter, but even more so than you've been given a tool to help you, you are literally in embedded with the Spirit of God. And that, that should be a comforting thing for the believer. It's not some of God. You don't have a mode of God, but you have all of God. Not a little bit, not a shapeshifter, not something that God turns into like Batman and jumps into us, but every bit of God. And the Holy Spirit in that is God himself. That's very important for us to understand. It's very important to lay the foundation for all the things that we're going to talk about moving forward, that as we get uncomfortable, as these things come up, as we wonder how we can really disagree that much on those things, we're going to lean back in into scripture as our authority, and we're going to say, we can't deny this because the Holy Spirit is God. And that has to be important for us. Like It has to be important for us no matter how we feel. In addition to that truth, though, that the Holy Spirit stands as God, it's equally important for us to understand that while the Holy Spirit is fully God, that the Holy Spirit is also distinct in his role. Like this is kind of a, as I've tried to put this sermon together and worked on it and kind of kicked it off some other guys, I've asked the question over and over, how do I stand and explain the unexplainable? Like, how do I tie this knot together when the Bible itself tells us that some of these things are going to be beyond our understanding? And I feel like trying to get a firm grasp on the Trinity is a bit beyond our understanding. Like, it takes a little bit of faith in there at some point to say, okay, God, I see what you're building here. I don't necessarily understand it fully, but I trust you fully. All right, so I feel like I'm, I'm kind of fighting a losing battle here, but I want us just to agree on the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is also distinct in his role. Look at Bible Journal. Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So this is the scene at Jesus' baptism. Uh, we see in verse 22 here that, that Luke goes to great lengths to tell us that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove. Now Luke finds it of utmost importance to inform the reader that the Holy Spirit was indeed in bodily form. This was not a... Um, this is not a reference to something that may have happened or that one person saw or some people saw, but Luke kind of draws this line around and says, no, no, what you need to understand is that in bodily form existed the Holy Spirit in this picture. There's a reason for that. Like this is one of the scriptures that we'll point to as the flagship to say that there is a distinction while the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together as one, there's also a distinction in those, and in this scripture, Luke removes any doubt that the Holy Spirit has distinctiveness here from the other members of the Trinity. 
In this passage of scripture, Luke testifies to the distinctiveness of each member of the Trinity, while what I believe is, is of utmost importance here when we look at their distinctiveness, while also illustrating a common purpose and will between the three. So here you have Jesus being baptized, you have the Holy Spirit um, descending in bodily form, and you have God's voice coming down from heaven. So there's your distinctiveness. But all in this moment, the three of them are working together toward a common purpose of redemption for all who would call upon the name of Jesus. Is what we see here in this scene is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we know how this ends. We know how it ends for him. We know what it opens up and, and creates for us as we as we are able to plead the blood of Christ through the death of Christ and, and how all of that works together. So we see the three distinct parts of the Trinity or the Godhead together working toward a common purpose of redemption for all who would call upon the name of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, while being fully God, as we see in Genesis 1, is also distinct from God, as we see in Luke 3. So these, these, both of these things are happening in the scripture. So the Holy Spirit is here, the Holy Spirit should be recognized as living and active in the life of each one of us who believes. But it's also important for us to understand that every movement and action of the Holy Spirit serves to accomplish the will of the Father who sent him. Now, this is where it gets a little strange. Because oftentimes we'll find ourselves or we will see others or maybe we have lived this ourselves, or we will begin to accredit things to the Holy Spirit that don't seem to align with the word of God. We'll begin to credit things to the Holy Spirit that don't seem to serve the ultimate will of the Father who sent him. Maybe, maybe we will credit things to the Holy Spirit that seem to create avenues for us to ascend when the Holy Spirit's main job is to help God ascend. Right, So we begin, to, we begin to see these things happen. And what this means for us is that if we believe that the Holy Spirit serves to accomplish the ultimate will of the Father who sent him, that means that we shouldn't credit every strange thing that happens to us to the Holy Spirit unless we can submit those things to the authority of the Scriptures and find that they are in order. This is also important. When you go into that Providence Community Church statement of faith and you read about spiritual gifts, which we'll get to later, what you're going to find is the last line in there. While we affirm the spiritual gifts, we also affirm that they are not here to cause chaos. They are here and they operate under the authority of the scriptures. That is important. Don't lose that somewhere. Because if we ever find the whole, I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine the other night, a guy I haven't seen in 15 years that we've begun to, to visit again. He's a Southern Baptist dude. That's how we met. But he went to college and he joined an Assemblies of God fraternity. And he's all over the map now, theologically. And he's confused, man. Like he is confused. Like we started out just catching up. Like we drive over there and meet up and he and I will just kind of catch up and shoot the bull and talk about old times. And now we sit down and we literally talk about this stuff for hours until I say, Rich, I have to go home. Like my wife, I, she's at home and I have to go to her house because there's, there's, some, <laughs> there's some, some confusion going on there. But one of the things he said to me last week when we met that I thought was great and I was so glad that he, had, that he was holding to this truth, he said, man, there's a lot of things that I've experienced and been told I should experience and a lot of things that I've seen and been told that I should see, but I always run them back to the scripture and I test them before I believe them or try to make them become part of my life. Praise God, man, because that's our ultimate authority is here. It's right here. It's this revelation that's been given to us by God. So 
That means, I'll just pick right up where I left off, that means that we shouldn't credit every strange thing that happens to us to the Holy Spirit unless we can submit those things to the authority of Scripture and find that they are in order. But likewise, likewise, because of everything that I just said, we also cannot legislate the Holy Spirit to the sideline of our lives and yet still presume that we are living to the glory of God also because of the things that we find in the Scripture. Like if the Scripture is the ultimate authority in one camp, it has to be the ultimate authority in the other. I cannot, in good conscience, say to my charismatic brothers and sisters that they need to submit their experiences to the authority of the Scriptures without telling my brothers and sisters who are wired super conservative like me that we can't afford to create ways to minimize the Holy Spirit's activity that we clearly see modeled in the Scriptures. We are either sola scriptura or we are not. It's one or the other. It's not sola scriptura unless I can come up with an argument to explain it away. It either is or it isn't. And I pray that we will hold fast to that truth as we press through this series because we are, we're going to talk about some things that I think are going to bring some crisis of belief. They brought crisis of belief in my own life, but I have asked consistently for the Lord to, to humble me and to bring me into submission under, under his scripture and under his authority. And I pray that you'll do the same. So why does this matter? Why, why is it important before we get into this, into this text that we understand that the Holy Spirit is fully God and that the Holy Spirit is also distinct? I think I've pulled out three things uh, really quickly before we close here that I think are of utmost importance if we are wanting or if we are able to enjoy the Holy Spirit, one of the things we must do is recognize his standing not as an addition to, but as God in our lives. I think there's some importance there. I think there's, there's the utmost importance there. I also believe that there are a few things that God wants for us that are not possible if we don't have a right understanding of the deity of the Holy Spirit. So those are the three things we're going to look at today, three things that I believe God wants us to experience he wants us to have in our lives but are impossible for us if we don't understand the deity or, or the, the godness, I guess you could say, of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is that God wants us to submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, submission, I said these are things that God wants us to enjoy. Submission isn't always seen as something that, that we enjoy. Like every lady in the room is like, yeah, if one more man preaches at me about submission, I'm going to start hurling rocks at people, <laughs> Right? Um, uh, I'm not going to tell a story about my wife here. Um, I thought about it. I really did. Like for a second, I was like, I'm going to roll this out, but I'm not. Um, this is what I'll say. And, and, and you guys can, can jump in with me. When we, when we talk submission in whatever category it is, the key to being submissive is understanding that that which you are submitting to loves you wholly and is for your good. Right? Whether that's submitting to God, whether that's submitting to your husband, whether it's submitting under, under authority in a church, whatever arena that the Bible speaks to us and tells us that we should be submissive, the key to that submission is understanding that the ones we are submitting to love us and are for our good. And here's the thing. A lot of times we don't know that until it's demonstrated. And that's the story I was going to tell about my wife. I'll tell you, we had some early on in our marriage, this is a hot topic. And as we've grown in our marriage and as we have been together longer, what I, I've learned with her exactly what I just told you here, that until the day that I truly 
and I'm not perfect, but until the day that I truly understood what it meant to truly love her and care for her and not selfishly pursue my own ambition and not try to stick a square peg in a round hole simply because that's what I wanted to do, until that day came, there was never going to be the biblical submission that is called for in our marriage. That was never going to happen. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. When, when I say that God wants us to submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is for us, has been given to us by God, loves us, and is for our good. Therefore, submission to him is not a bad thing. Submission to him is not something to be feared. It's incredibly important to be a people who are submissive to the will of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of reasons why. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you can get there. Look at that and we get our screen back. There we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is telling the Thessalonians here in this chapter to be careful not to quench the activity of the Holy Spirit around them. I'll read from verses 19 and 20. It says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now we see why they are being told not to quench the spirit when we read through verse 20. Verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. It seems as though the Thessalonians were apparently despising the manifestation of prophecy and were cutting off a valuable source of encouragement and extinguishing the spirit's fire there among them. So the Spirit was trying to do this work, and Paul's coming in saying, hey, listen to me, don't quench the Spirit by despising prophecies. Like that has been sent to you for your good. Paul doesn't tell them this and say, hey, go completely unhinged now. Like so he tells them don't despise it, but he also doesn't come around on the other side of the coin and say, let everything be permissible. He tells them again, coming on in verse 21, he says, test everything. So don't despise prophecy because you could quench the spirit, but be careful to test everything. This goes back to what we were talking about. Do these movements of the Holy Spirit or perceived actions of the Holy Spirit, are they submissive to the authority of the scripture? And this is what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians. Like he's laying this out for him. Abuses that we have all seen and experienced in the name of the Holy Spirit are not a good reason to refuse to submit to his work. (laughs) Not good reasons. Like, we can't just, just sit here and say, man, you know, I have seen some things go terribly wrong, so what I'm going to do is default so far away from it that I act like there's no activity of the Holy Spirit whatsoever. We can't do that. Those aren't good excuses. Paul says you can quench the Spirit by doing that, but don't be deceived. Test everything. Test everything and see if it is approved. Verse 22 reveals another reason why we must submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that to us. Paul then tells him after saying, test everything, hold fast to what is good. And verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. In Galatians 5.25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So in verse 22, if we are not quenching the Spirit, we are testing everything, and then we are being commanded to abstain from every form of evil, we do that by living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. This is why it's important to maintain a posture of submission to the Holy Spirit. This is what this means. When Paul says, keeping in step with the Spirit, he's literally speaking of military cadence. 
lockstep every way. What that means for us is that when we wake up every single morning, even the most mundane details of our day as we go to the job that we hate and we deal with the people that we don't enjoy and we're stuck in traffic and we're doing all of these things that we abhor day in and day out, Paul's command is be in lockstep with the Spirit. And understand that even in your circumstances where you may not want to be, where you may not think you should be, where you're waiting on the next step of the ladder, there's all of these things happening that you are holding on for and waiting for, that the Spirit has you right where he wants you, and we should submit ourselves to his will in that moment for us to the glory of God. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your timeline, regardless of perceived priorities, if you are alive by the Spirit, the command is to live in submission to the Spirit. And and Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, we should walk in the Spirit. Who are those that live by the Spirit, capital S, Spirit? It's those of us who know Christ, who have come into relationship with God. We say that the Holy Spirit, what Scripture teaches, that the Holy Spirit will open up our eyes, will bring us to salvation through the sacrifice of Christ, and then we are then reconciled to God. So when Paul says that we live by the Spirit, he's saying not that we wake up in the morning and we draw breath into our lungs, but that we literally live by the Spirit because it is the Spirit that brought us into salvation. It is the Spirit that brought us into relationship with the Son. It is the Spirit that brought us into our pleasing nature that we have in our relationship that we have with God. So if we have that in us, let us also keep in lockstep with the Spirit. Now, submission to the Spirit is not to be despised by us, but rather to be enjoyed, because we know that the Spirit we are commanded to submit to is the very Spirit of God, as I said earlier, who wants good for us. So we know that is true. The second thing that that God wants us to to do here is he wants us to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, when I say that word, experience the Holy Spirit in our lives, for a lot of us, that's a derailing moment because what comes to my mind, I'm just going to be honest with you and some of you may resonate with this. When I say experience the Holy Spirit, immediately I'm taken away to like YouTube videos of Benny Hinn swinging his coat, like (laughs) knocking people down. You guys know the deal. Like that, that is... In, in a lot of circles, that is what we would say when we say that we are experiencing the Holy Spirit, that somehow we have been slain or, or whatever, whatever may be going on in other places. But over the next 14 weeks, as I've said 100 times, but I want you to know, 14 weeks after today of content here, over those next 14 weeks, we're going to talk about ways that we experience the Holy Spirit. Like that, that's going to come week after week after week. And in order to, to not... Um, step on any of those sermons. I've just made a list of ways that I believe God wants us to experience the Holy Spirit. I think God wants us to experience his love through the Holy Spirit. Scripture's clear on that. God wants us to experience sonship through adoption in Christ via the Holy Spirit. The scripture is clear on that. God wants us to experience the scriptures through the Holy Spirit because the Bible tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that even gives us eyes to see even gives us the ability to understand what we find in the scriptures. God wants us to experience that via the Holy Scriptures. God wants us to experience the church 
via the Holy Spirit. He wants us to experience community as the Holy Spirit has brought, regardless of what you believe. Here's the truth. Each and every person that's represented in this room or was represented in that building before it got shut down was brought in by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to experience the church through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, God wants us to experience spiritual gifts that are given for the edification of the church. Feel the Holy Spirit. He wants us to see that. He wants us to experience incredible comfort even in the midst of bad circumstances and on and on and on and on that list goes. All of those things are brought to us and given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to experience the Holy Spirit is to experience God himself. And that's something that we should earnestly desire. We should earnestly be desiring to experience the Holy Spirit because in experiencing the Spirit, we are experiencing our God. And that, that, that's to be valued. That's to be, to be desired by us. And my last point, number three, God wants us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse 14 and read down through verse 19 and then we'll start, we'll start getting ready to close this thing out. It says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul is saying here, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, that knowing the love of Christ is the key to being filled with the fullness of God. But he also says that the way we do that is to be strengthened with power through his spirit to understand. So Paul says... The key here to being filled with the fullness of God, which is what God wants for us, is to know the love of Christ. But we cannot know the, know the love of Christ apart from the power of the Spirit, apart from the strength that comes from the Spirit. So the key to understanding this is found in the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Man, if, we are, if we're living our lives in a way in which we're holding the Holy Spirit at, at arm's length, then we are not filled with the fullness of God as testified to by the Scripture. If we are holding the Holy Spirit out and we are refusing to pursue nor participate in the activities that He is trying to bring into our lives, then we are not being filled with the fullness of God. We are not being filled with the fullness of God. And in that case, we could probably just say that we're dipping our toe into the pool and telling everybody that we've gone swimming. When the scripture is clear that there are things that have to be initiated by the Spirit in our life. And we have run, in some cases, like I said earlier, so far to try to avoid even the, the, even the potential of abuse in the name of the Holy Spirit that we have just completely exiled his work from our life altogether. And we've said, we're not, we're not dealing with that. I want you to know today and this evening that God desires that we would live by the power of the Spirit and that we might know him fully and know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ through the strength that we are given and the Spirit that lives inside of us because that Spirit is God. That's, that's, that's the reality and that's the key to everything that we're saying.
So to begin to close, to close tonight, um, there was a line, you know, uh, Joseph is really good to, to kick out a, um, like a sermon series guide when we roll out these new sermons. And there was a line in the one that he sent us a couple of weeks ago uh, related to this, this series that I thought was interesting, that I thought really, really stood alone and kind of folded into what we were talking about today. He said this, said, if we're going to know, worship, and obey God, we cannot assume, ignore, or minimize the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. If that is our goal, if we have spent time together, even though it's been kind of flawed with the movements and all the things that have gone on, if we have spent time together consistently praying for revival, if we have spent time consistently believing that the Lord wants to be revival, it, it wants to bring revival. If you were like me and thought we were standing on the edge of revival and then everything fell apart, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that to know, worship, and obey God means that we are not assuming, we are not ignoring, and we are not minimizing the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. What that means for us is that even in difficult times, when, it's, when it may even be hard, if you're like us, you're right in the middle of dinner routine right now with your kids, and it's just like, man, this is, this is critical mass right now. You know, like they're going to kill somebody back there over a, we call them fish fish, but over a box of goldfish. But... What you, can, what you can rest assured of and what we can rest assured of is that even our tribulation, even our hard time, even our trial, as first world as it is, is, is being stewarded for us by the Holy Spirit. We cannot ignore that. We can't ignore that those things are going on. Listen to what Gordon Fee has to say here. He says, Paul says the fulfillment of this promised blessing for the Gentiles is in their having experienced the Spirit as a living and dynamic reality. The blessing of Abraham, therefore, is not simply justification by faith. Rather, it refers to the life of the future, now available to the Jew and Gentile alike, achieved through the death of Christ, but applied through the dynamic ministry of the Spirit, and all of this by faith. My job this morning was just to kind of lay a theological framework for everything that comes next. But one of the things that I felt very... Um, I feel like we needed to do because there's so there's such a broad spectrum of belief here. I wanted to to make a very particular call this morning for us and and just have us all as I said earlier admit that we all have some preconceived things that we're walking into this with. Like we all have presuppositions that that whether it's the way that we grew up, whether it's the way that we feel, whether it's what we've studied and believed to be true by the scripture, those are all great. Like I, I'm okay with that. But what, what I would like for us to do is, because I promise you from a perspective, a teaching team perspective, we are, <laughs> we are pursuing the scripture here. We are not weaving in any, any opinion. We're not weaving in anything that we don't think we can back up with the word of God. And my hope for us is that we would be able to spend the next 14 weeks together, all of us submitting all of our understanding about the Holy Spirit, submitting all of our understanding to all the things we think we might already have figured out to the authority of the scriptures. Maybe, may we, may we do that together. May we walk through that together as we continue to call on the Lord, as we continue to ask him to lead our church and guide our church and kind of steward this, this season that we're in right now. May we also, in the midst of that, lay down anything that might hinder us as we pursue knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is. May we lay down anything that may hinder us as we, as we pursue more knowledge of who God is through knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is. Can we do that together as a family? That's what I'm going to ask for you to do um, this morning. And lastly, last but not least, let me, let me never, 
close my Bible and end the sermon without preaching the gospel. I mean, never do that. If I do that, please hit me with something when I leave and say, go back. We're going to talk a lot of nuts and bolts during this series and a lot of things that may not point back or might not even feel applicable to the non-believer. But I want you to know that if you're here today and you're with us and you do not know the Lord, I want to remind you that, that there is a God that, that loves you that sees you as you stand, as the Bible teaches, in, in your fallen condition, separated from God, um, completely helpless in that state, and that that same God sent Christ, sent Jesus, who is equally God, just like we've talked about the Holy Spirit, but also equally distinct, sent Jesus to die, and he, he lived the life you couldn't live died the death that you deserved and rose again on your behalf that the Spirit might draw you into this room now to hear the gospel preached. That is, that is such good news, man. It, it is such good news for a world that we live in that is full of people that are looking for, for significance, looking for um, a reason for the things that are swirling and going on. Like, what is, what is the purpose for even being here? Let me tell you something. The purpose for being here is that you were created by a God that loves you and wants you to live every minute of all of your days glorifying his name. Period. Like, regardless of what you believe about the stuff that we just talked about today, like, that's the bottom line for all of us. So let me never walk away from a pulpit or close a Bible without preaching that message and saying, if that's you today, if you are one of the ones that would say, I don't know Christ and I maybe didn't recognize my fallen condition or maybe I didn't, didn't know what to do about it, that the gospel is for you this morning and that Christ stands ready to forgive you and welcome you into the fold. And if that is you, feel free to grab myself or one of our other leaders or literally anybody in this room. I'm looking, I'm looking through him, trying to figure out who, who to call out. But just grab somebody in the room, and we'll make sure that we can kind of talk with you through that and pray with you and make sure that, that you understand um, what the next steps are here. So it's in that that I'm going to pray for us. I don't think I've prayed for us the whole time I've been here. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll turn it over to Eric, and he will uh, he'll lead us. God, we need you. God, in the midst of difficult subject matter, often confusing subject matter, God, often debated subject matter, God, we, we need you. We need your power, Father. We need, we need your Holy Spirit, God. We need our hearts to be open to your truth. We need our eyes to be open to, to the truth of your scripture, God. And we know that you do all those things through the working of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that we would see those things happen here God, not because we want to experience cool things, but because we want more of you. We want to know you and draw near to you. God, we want to understand you. We want to build, build our understanding of who you are so that we might know you more. God, that we might know the intricate pieces of you that you tell us we will never know. May we always pursue that knowledge. As, as impossible as it is, God, be with us as, as we try to lead and teach these things, myself and Joe and Eric and whoever else might come along. Father, I pray that you would just, in the same way that we have asked people here to set their presuppositions to the side, would you do the same with ours? Would you root them out, God? Let, let the scripture be, be the only thing that matters as we wade through this. God, I pray for each and every person that belongs to this church that's not with us, God that has found it difficult to remain as times have changed and, and circumstances have, have shifted. 
God, would you remind them that, that there is a reason that you've woven them into the local church? Would you remind them that there's a reason that you've woven them here with us? And God, create in them a, a desire to come back to us, God, to work through this with us. God, I pray that you bring quick resolution to the things that we're holding on. Would you move on the hearts of men that could care less whether we ever meet again? <laughs> can you do that? I believe that you can. I'm begging you to do it. Father, be with us as we, we lead through this time. God, comfort us. Remind us, remind us of the truths that we all know but often find hard to grab a hold of. <laughs> Keep those things on the forefront. Jesus. We love you. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for each and every person here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.